Hello and welcome. It's the third hour of the Eric Erickson show. I just happen to be that guy, Eric Erickson. Yes, face for radio, voice for print, and you're stuck with me. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC. That's 877-973-7425. I have learned a lesson over the years, and it is a lesson that the sooner you internalize it, the more everything else makes sense in the press. No, it's it's not the liberal bias. There is a liberal bias, but it's not that. It's this. There is no story on heaven or earth or under the earth or in any part between that the media loves more than a story that makes them the story. The media loves to be the story. Look at Jim Acosta at CNN. Jim Acosta loved to be the story in the era of Donald Trump. The media loves for it to be about the media. Listen to the commentary in the press about January 6th. They love to talk to reporters who were part of the story, who were there. To, to, they love to talk about how it's just, I, I was there and it's so discombobulating and I, I still have PTSD and, oh my gosh, I'm so it's just It's just terrible. They, they love to be a part of the story. So Ben Smith, he was the media reporter for the New York Times, and I got to admit, he was a very good columnist at the New York Times. He, he, he had a quick wit, a sharp eye, and uh, his his keyboard was on fire when he wrote. He, he did a very good job in what he covered. And he is leaving the New York Times, and it is the big story. This is what everybody's talking about. You have January 6th and Ben Smith, and both stories are stories where the media is talking about the media. Where were you on January 6th? I saw one reporter say, oh, Apple's Photos app says generated a memory of me seeking shelter to avoid the rioters that day. Let me show you all the pictures. This is the New York Times covering Ben Smith of the New York Times leaving the New York Times. Ben Smith, the media columnist for the New York Times, is leaving the media outlet to start a new global news organization with Justin Smith, who is stepping down as chief executive of Bloomberg News or Bloomberg Media, rather. Ben Smith said in an interview, they planned to build a global newsroom that broke news and experimented with new formats of storytelling. He did not provide details on what beats or regions would be covered, how much money they planned to raise, or when the new organization would start. But wait. But wait, there's something else here. Let me me read you down a little bit more, because Ben Smith, you need to know, he was at Politico. He was one of the people who helped get Politico started when Politico was all the rage, a a hyper-focused, first, not necessarily accurate news outlet in Washington, D.C. that fixated on the political news of the day. Politico, in fact, is blamed by other members of the press, their competition, for setting the trend of being first, not accurate in politics. Ben Smith joined the Times in 2020 after an eight-year tenure as editor-in-chief of BuzzFeed. He was previously a reporter at Politico. 
The Wall Street Journal earlier reported that Justin Smith was leaving Bloomberg to found, found the new startup. Ben Smith said that he and Justin Smith had been discussing the fractured state of the news media for years and began talking about starting a new company last fall. The new venture, he said, would aim to break news and offer nuance to complex stories without falling into familiar partisan tropes. <laughs> right, something he was never able to accomplish at BuzzFeed when he was the editor there. Now, comfortably smug, if you don't follow him on Twitter, you should. He points out a little piece of the story that the New York Times doesn't quite cover. In May of 2020, when Ben Smith moved over to the New York Times, he had a bunch of shares in BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed, the news organization, the the, the online uh, quiz show, basically, which Harry Potter character are you today? Outlet, it's going public. Ben Smith said he agreed in May of 2020 to divest all of his shares in BuzzFeed by the end of that year. And then the New York Times told Slate, another new publication, in October of 2021, that they've extended Ben's deadline to divest the stock options to February of 2022. And now Ben Smith in January of 2022, a month before he must divest the shares of the company that just went public, says, ha ha, peace out, going to go start a new organization. Now, one of the crazy things about this is this quote. This is an actual word-for-word reading of the quote in the New York Times. You may want to sit down for this one. There are 200 million people who are college-educated, who read in English, but who no one is really treating like an audience but who talk to each other and talk to us. That's who we see as our audience. Let me read that quote to you again just one more time. Let's process this together. There are 200 million people who are college-educated, who read in English, but who no one is really treating like an audience, but who talk to each other and talk to us. That's who we see as our audience. So they want to build an even douchier Atlantic, I guess. What? They, 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 they want to build another New York Times because the New York Times, that, that isn't that their model at this point? What? What is this? This, that, that's, that's the nuttiest quote I've read in the news industry in some time. There are 200 million people who are college educated, who read in English, but who no one is really treating like an audience, but they talk to each other and talk to us. Ben Smith talks to 200 million people? Really? Now, this story is not so much about this venture other than I just find that quote just pretentious as all get out. But that this really is the media talking about the media. And Twitter has enabled this function. There used to be a website called Nuzzle. Terrible name, but the site was awesome. You could go on Nuzzle, and Nuzzle would aggregate all of the stories that all the people you followed were sharing. 
So you could go on those and you could say, oh, 50 of my friends are sharing this article. It must be a very good article. It really made show prep for this show easy. And then Twitter bought it and killed it. And they've brought it back now. And I happened to realize it the other day while I was on vacation. And yesterday I went on doing show prep, clicked the little button. And what was the number one shared story? This one. Ben Smith starting this venture. None of you really even care. None of you know who Ben Smith is. The point is not what he's doing. The point is to understand the way the world works in the media. You must understand that there is no story greater than the one that involves them. This involves the media reporter for the New York Times. Therefore, it is the biggest damn story, and you better appreciate it. With that most pretentious quote. But, but, wait, wait. There's more. This is Hunter Walker. Hunter Walker is a reporter. He happened to be at the Capitol January 6th. And I think that distance, coupled with the fact that we see active attempts to deny the reality of what occurred, have sort of prevented people from realizing what happened that day. And what I've found, you know, I know this for myself, but in talking, you know, there's a bit of an informal network of reporters um, who've been through it that day and are still coping with that, who are leaning on each other and talking to each other. Um, I also talked to members of Congress, their staffs, and law enforcement, members of the Capitol Police. Um, and we're all still dealing with that and feeling like we need to convey to others how serious it was. I mean, just one example, there are still members of the U.S. Capitol Police out with injuries that they suffered that day. And what I've found, you know, I know this for myself, but in talking, you know, there's a bit of an informal network of reporters um, who've been through it that day. And there's a bit of an informal network of reporters who have been through it that day and they still talk to each other. The media loves a story about the media. The media loves to put themselves in the center of the story and make it about themselves. This, by the way, is why there can be no self-reflection in the media about what they got wrong. This can be why there can never be a full recitation of events that led to things like January 6th because of the way the media has covered things over the years that has increased partisanship, not decreased partisanship. The media is directly to blame for a lot of the problems we have in this country right now. And they don't even recognize it. They don't want to recognize it. They will come after me for pointing it out. Just imagine had the media called our public health officials to account more for their contradictions and hypocrisy on COVID. We have entire conspiracy theories out there now, mixing and matching statements made by public health officials, and no one in the media wants to actually acknowledge that people in public health were getting stuff wrong and why they were getting it wrong. Instead, they want to attack the conspiracy theorists who are highlighting all of the flubs, missteps, and doublespeak. We have journalists who gave a pass to union activists and progressives for storming state capitals to shut down legislatures in the last decade who suddenly can't get enough of talking about January 6th. Maybe had they not given a pass to progressive activists then, you wouldn't see conservative activists, Republican Trump supporters, storming the Capitol now.
media wasn't there. The media wasn't there. They couldn't make the story about themselves. Nobody hears about Jim Acosta anymore. The only way Jim Acosta makes himself a story now is if he goes on a tirade that beclowns himself on CNN. Then suddenly everybody talks about Jim Acosta. Jim Acosta loves it to be about himself. He's a performance artist. We live in postmodern times. Performance is all that matters. If you can do your dog and pony show and make it about yourself and put the spotlight on you, who cares what your end goal is? Who cares what the outcome is? Who cares what your success is? It's all about putting the spotlight on you. See, me, me, me. It's about me. It's about the reporters. It's about their coverage of themselves. And in the meantime... There are all sorts of stories out there that don't get covered. You know, the the intersectional activist class these days, when the media focuses on a dead white woman, they're like, why aren't you focusing on the black woman? Why aren't you focusing on the black woman who died? Why aren't you focusing on the people who aren't white? Why aren't the non-white people covered as much? Well, part of the problem is that it's the young white woman who gets the news ratings because it's the older, rich, progressive white people who watch the news. So the media shapes their coverage based on their ratings. And the ratings come from people who just look and think like them. And meanwhile, those stories don't get covered like they should. It's all about the media. And so, I mean, God bless Ben Smith and the other Smith for leaving to do a a new Atlantic magazine to talk to 200 million college-educated people who read in English who aren't anybody else's audience. Really, they actually said that. All I could caution them is if they actually want to do something new and different, pretend they themselves don't exist when they write the story because the rest of us can't get real stories told or reported on accurately unless a member of the media happens to be the subject of the story. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Pour one out for the people stuck on Amtrak in this thing. So uh, just side note, Uh, a couple of years ago, I was coming back from Washington, D.C., headed to Atlanta, and huge, huge winter storm blows through and all the flights get canceled. I moved from a Delta flight uh, to an American Airlines flight to a JetBlue flight. JetBlue flight, supposed to leave at 10 o'clock. It got moved to 11 o'clock, and it was going to fly from Washington to Boston and then Boston to Atlanta. thought, well, we're going to miss the connection to Atlanta. This is screw up. So I got on Amtrak's website and realized that they had one ticket left on their train ride from Washington to Atlanta. So I took it as business class seat. Now, you should know that I snore. I've snored since I was in high school, middle school. I used to be the kid who we would take class trips, and I lived in Dubai. So when we took class trips, we went to Greece. And I got rooms to myself because nobody could sleep with me. Apparently, I don't know when it happened, but I had a, a deviated septum. Snoring is also very genetic in my family, and I snore bad, Um, and I always have, and it's not a weight thing. Uh, I know some of you are thinking that it really isn't. I have always, always, always snored, 
and it's gotten worse over the years. And um, I felt so bad for the lady who sat next to me. So I stayed up most of the night and actually uh, got to make friends with a with a guy and a son. Uh, he's listening right now, I'm sure. And we were coming back. They were on a father-son trip before his son went off to college. And we stayed up most of the night in the dining car and visited. So I just decided, you know what? Let me see. You know these things, they've got beds and showers. You can get a private room. Let me take Atlanta to Washington one time. And it'll be an overnight trip, but I'll be able to stay up all night, uh, do work, uh, have a good meal, take a shower in the morning. It was the worst experience of my life in travel. We'll never do it again. I know people who like to do these Amtrak. There is no freaking way to think. I suggested to my wife on our honeymoon, we should take the, uh, what they call the American Oregon Express to the Rocky Mountains, that it would be fun. She's like, hell no. We wound up going to, to Canada, uh, to BAMP. But nonetheless... An Amtrak train was stuck for 30 hours with passengers coming from Atlanta headed to Washington. The train I was on that one time stuck for 30 hours in Virginia in that snowstorm. The toilets overflowed. They ran out of food. It was like the Donner Party on Amtrak. I just, I, I feel bad for these people. I have been there and you get roped into the whole idea of, oh, it's a train. You got the dining car, you got a bedroom, you got your own bathroom and a shower. You you know what happens? It stops. It stops like every 30 to 45 minutes, it stops and it rocks you back and forth and you wake up all night long. You toss and turn and then it hits the brakes in the middle of the night. And you slide out. Of, it's just, it's, it is not a pleasant experience. I hope to never do it again. And I feel so bad. So the, this was actually the Crescent train, which actually came up from New Orleans to Atlanta. Now, I got to admit, I, I got to admit, in the daytime in this trip, the Atlanta train leaves at night. It goes through the night, but it's actually a beautiful dry, uh, trip. And I kind of do want to do the one through the Rockies because that's a beautiful, I mean, the train can go where cars and planes do not. And I would kind of like to do it. But I feel really terrible for these people because I have made that Amtrak ride before. And then, I mean, the Atlanta Amtrak station, it's like, am I going to get gunned down while I'm waiting for the train? It's, it is, I don't, it's very near my office. And it's like, you've got my office and civilization, and then you've got Amtrak. And the two don't meet. When we come back, I will take your phone calls. 877-973-7425. And then the Blackberry. Yeah, we should probably commemorate. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. What is this? A PR, PR emails all the time. They come in with the anniversary of January 6th insurrection upon us. There has been no shortage of coverage related to the role social media played. However, the role of civic technology, software that allows organizations to mobilize large groups of supporters, has been largely ignored for the role it played and continues to play in disseminating misinformation. Would you like to talk to an expert about this? From a liberal PR group. Good Lord, no, I don't. All right, to the phones we go. I do want to talk to Robert. Welcome to the program, Robert. Oh, thank you for taking my call, Eric. Sure. Hey, I just wanted to, um, uh, can you hear me? Yep, yep. Okay, yeah, I just wanted to uh, the, um, address the um, 
uh, decision out of the Northern District of Texas. It, it is a preliminary injunction that enjoins not the entire Navy's vaccination program, but simply the program that applies to special operations duty and those who refuse the vaccine based on personal or religious beliefs. So ultimately, I, I, it will go through the process, but this is a very narrowly focused um, injunction against a small group of people, not against the entire Department of the Navy's vaccination program. I'm certain that that will be challenged in other forms as well. Um, but there's a, a lot of folks talking about this as if this were attacking the or, or addressing the entire program right. for the Navy or the DOD. It does not. It's just for a narrow group of special operators. Yeah, that that's that is is good clarification. I, I had mentioned the seals, but yeah, yeah, I don't want people to to misinterpret it as being broader than it actually is. You know, um, the, the 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 big issue. And Robert, thanks very much for that phone call. Um, so when an injunction is issued, the standard tends to be now. What an, is an injunction? An injunction does not mean you're barred forever. It just means there's a high probability that the person seeking the injunction will win their case. Therefore, we will enjoin you and then we'll have a hearing and find out. But the, the presumption from the judge based on the, the evidence presented thus far, uh, there's plausible reason to presume immediate harm will be done and there may be uh, a legitimate chance of uh, a legitimate shot at winning. Fact of the matter is that, yes, uh, the judge is right on the one point there. Immediate harm. Yes. But um, I, I do think it's hard to say that. It'll be, um, it, it would, they got a high chance of winning uh, given the, the and, and the one I go back to is the anthrax vaccine. The anthrax vaccine is not in, in common use, uh, is experimental and everybody in the military was forced to get it. And it's a deeply painful shot, uh, from what I w- have been told by every single person who's ever gotten it, it is a miserable thing to do. Uh, and yet they still had to do it. So I, I think that's the, um, I think that's the bottom line here. Nonetheless, I'm not opposed to conservative judges if we're not going to call out the um, progressive judges for doing this all the time. I mean, conservative judges, why not do that? Now, I, we got to move on to other stuff because, uh, my goodness, um, I, I, I've, I've been saving you audio. One of the things that I want to play is this bit from CNBC. Listen to this. Canvas nearly 2,000 voters in late December and nearly three quarters said the economy isn't good and half said it will get worse. In an environment with little common ground between political parties, both Democrats and Republicans said rising inflation continues to hurt the recovery. 74% of Biden voters, 96% of Trump voters say the price of everyday goods is worse than a year ago. And when asked which expenses are rising that give them concern, respondents said groceries, gas, health care, and everything. And they don't see it getting better anytime soon. 53% of respondents say prices will stay high for a long time. And a quarter say current sticker prices are here to stay. An outlook that could be costly at the polls this November. The administration's messaging has focused on the pandemic and corporate collusion as reasons for these higher prices. But there hasn't been enough buy-in to shift the blame away from the president, who, according to this poll, shoulders 38%. That's a plurality of the blame from voters. About 60% of those surveyed say President Biden has control over the retail prices of gas and groceries. Okay, gas and groceries. 
That's CNBC's polling. We talked about that polling yesterday, um, and in particular that this is more of a concern than January 6th, and it transcends racial lines, economic groups, and the like. But there's also crime. CNBC focused on the inflation and the economy. That's what they do at CNBC. It's a business channel. But crime is another issue. Let me read you a quote. This is from a New York Post story on Manhattan Island's new DA in New York. Armed robbers who use guns or other deadly weapons to stick up stores and other businesses will be prosecuted only for petty larceny, a misdemeanor, provided no victims were seriously injured and there's no genuine risk of physical harm to anyone. That's going to be the policy of Manhattan's new DA who doesn't want anyone to go to jail. Manhattan's, this is now the New York Post, the author, Larry Salona, Tamara Larpin. My gosh, how many people have to write one story? Who needs soft-on-crime judges when the district attorney won't even lock up the bad guys? Manhattan's new DA has ordered his prosecutors to stop seeking prison sentences for hordes of criminals and to downgrade felony charges in cases including armed robberies and drug dealing, according to a set of progressive policies made public Tuesday. In his first memo to staff on Monday, Alvin Bragg said his office will not seek a carceral sentence, except with homicides and a handful of other cases, including domestic violence felonies, some sex crimes, and public corruption. This rule may be accepted only in extraordinary circumstances based on a holistic analysis. Always be wary of people who use the word holistic. This rule may be accepted only in extraordinary circumstances based on a holistic analysis of the facts, criminal history, victims' input, particularly in cases of violence or trauma, and any other information available. Assistant district attorneys must also now keep in mind the impact of incarceration including whether it really does increase public safety, potential future barriers to convicts involving housing and employment, the financial cost of prison, and the racial disparities over who gets time. In cases where prosecutors do not do seek to put a convict behind bars, the request can be for no more than 20 years for a determinate sentence, meaning one that can't be reviewed or changed by a parole board. You know, New York's got a new mayor. The new mayor, Eric Adams, has come out now and said he flat out refuses to shut down the city. Not going to not gonna shut down the city. He says uh, low-income, low-wage, low-skill workers are the hardest hit. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is attacking him, saying, there's no such thing as a low-skilled worker. It's just a mythology of the corporate hegemons to think that there's low-skilled workers. No, actually, mopping the floor is not a high skill. Sorry, it's not. Flipping burgers at a McDonald's is not really a high-skilled job. Eric Adams is right. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is an idiot. He says, you shut down these restaurants, you shut down these businesses, it's going to hurt people. He also said they got to get tough on crime. He's bringing back stop and frisk. Stop and frisk was declared unconstitutional in the way that uh, Mike Bloomberg was using it. Uh, Mike Bloomberg actually went on the record 
at a, well, it wasn't on the record. He said it to a large group of people, I think, at an Aspen Institute meeting behind closed doors. It was recorded. Bloomberg said, um, we're, we're not targeting young black men. We're targeting crime. The crime just happens to be in the neighborhoods where there are a lot of young black men. And those young black men happen to be the ones who do the crime. So you them against the wall, you frisk them, you find the gun. They stop doing the crimes. He wasn't wrong. Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York City, decided he wasn't going to do that anymore. The result? Crime through the roof in New York. And now here comes the new mayor of Manhattan. Now, this is important. This is important. New York City has five boroughs. What are they? Manhattan, Harlem, Queens, the Bronx, Brooklyn, I guess Staten Island, six. How many boroughs of New York? Boroughs of New York. Now now I'm curious. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, I was right. The, the Bronx, Brooklyn, Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. Harlem is 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 not one of them. Okay. Um, I thought Harlem was its own. Anyway, so it's those five. They all have their own DA. Now, this is important because it's the Manhattan DA that has decided they're not going to fight criminals anymore. Who elects the Manhattan DA? Um, The Manhattan DA is, well, elected by a bunch of whole rich white people. And what's notable about this is that the other DAs in the area, even uh, DAs elected in majority-minority neighborhoods, they're not going to go along with the Manhattan DA. The Manhattan DA is the wealthy. The Manhattan is where all the billionaires live. The middle class and the working folks, they live out in the Bronx. They live in Queens. Maybe they live in Staten Island. Brooklyn is becoming a progressive enclave of uh, urban dwelling uh, white hipsters who have gentrified the neighborhood, driven up costs, and pushed people out. The Manhattan DA represents the rich, and it was the rich white people, the rich white people who decided that they are going to be the ones who go soft on crime. So what's going to happen when Macy's is vandalized? What's going to happen when Saks Fifth Avenue is robbed? What's going to happen when the news organization, news anchors, are mugged on their way in to do the newscast in in Manhattan? That's where they all are. That's where they all are. Um, That's going to be a problem. Now, the Manhattan DA... It's a larger constituency, but you know, you got a Brooklyn DA and the like, and they're going to be, there's going to be real fights now in New York. And it's going to be interesting to see the success of this. Now, the reason I talk about New York, I'm not even on the air in New York, but the reason I talk about New York in the story is because it is like New York is the capital of the world. As far as the media is concerned in Philadelphia, Selena Zito, uh, who writes at the Washington examiner has a story on this that you're going to have a crime problem now in Philadelphia. It's become a big problem and it's going to impact the Pennsylvania statewide elections. 
This is Selena Zito. It's been four weeks since former Philadelphia Mayor Michael Nutter admonished the city's DA, Larry Krasner, in an editorial in the Philadelphia Inquirer for his dismissal of the city's crime wave, calling his offhand remarks some of the worst, most ignorant, most insulting comments ever spoken by an elected official. Krasner told reporters Philadelphia didn't, quote, have a crisis of lawlessness. We don't have a crisis of crime, and we don't have a crisis of violence. When discussing a city that at times has seen a record 521 homicides by December 1st. Philadelphia, Atlanta, San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, they're having massive crime waves. Not only that, with the exception of Atlanta, you've got random school closures for indefinite er times in these areas because of teachers' unions. Democrats are trying to dismiss all of this. Do you really think the public is? Now, at some point, you got to say these people get what they deserve given that they voted for this. It's true. But when the Bronx is not having a crime wave, and Manhattan is, do you really think the rich white progressives who think themselves above it all, do you really think they're going to keep this up? What's going to happen, and this is going to be the funny part of it, is they're going to vote to reject this, but then demand everybody else keep it going because they don't want it to happen to them, but they're okay with it happening to everybody else. And the more that hypocrisy happens, the more you're going to see black and Hispanic voters become Republican. And I can't wait to watch that happen. Now, if you hear me, my throat is rattling. Sinuses. It's it's the weather change. Normally, it's the dust. I have terrible allergies which is why I use a, a uh, air purifier at the house. And the Eden Pure Thunderstorm, I love it because it's filterless. I use the Eden Pure in my kitchen because when you fry stuff, it leaves that fry odor, and the Eden Pure eliminates odors without a filter. It's great. It will eliminate odors in your house, and it, it's very portable. I can carry it around. In fact, right now you can get three of them for less than $200 at EdenPureDeals.com. You can put one upstairs, one downstairs, keep one in your car. I use mine when I travel. I keep it with me because you can plug it into in your car uh, with a USB cord and it works and it will eliminate the odors of the car. You know, you never know. You get a rental car and, and it smells like cigarette smoke or marijuana or somebody had dogs in it. Well, with Eden Pure, you eliminate those odors. It really works well. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. Click on my name, Eric Erickson. Put it in your cart. You get a three-pack for less than $200. You're saving $200, by the way, and you get free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com at discounted code. At checkout, you'll see a discount code box. Put in ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K, the number three, no space, and you will save $200. You'll get three of them. It's a great deal, EdenPureDeals.com. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. So I'm kind of excited. I have a confession to make. Uh, a year or two ago, yeah, it was, it was in 2020. It was during all the lockdown stuff. My concealed carry permit expired. And I have not gone to get it renewed. I should now. Jim, you should know. Jim, who's behind the board, tells me I should stop telling people this. And he's probably right. But I'm just full candor and disclosure. It's okay. My wife is usually with me and she has more guns than all of you. Um, but 
I I I just I, it's a, such a pain in the butt to get one, and you know if you if you let it expire within ninety days, it's okay. You can just get it renewed. But now I got to go through the fingerprint process again and all that. I just don't have time to do it. I need to do it, but I don't have time. In Georgia, it looks to be the next state to push constitutional carry. The governor of the state, God bless him, Brian Kemp, he campaigned on the issue in twenty eighteen, and he is keeping his promise. He's got a good track record of keeping promises, and this one he's going to do, constitutional carry. He is holding an event this week and advancing it. Now, to be honest, intellectually honest here, uh, make it a big splash out of the gate. The legislature in Georgia convenes starting next week. They're going to convene and disband promptly because there's this thing called the National College Football Championship that Georgia's in. <laughs> Which reminds me, I got to buy an Alabama cap because I promised Leland Vittert if I if Georgia loses, he'll make me wear the Alabama cap on TV. Nonetheless, I digress. Um, so Georgia's legislature has to shut down very quickly because they're all going to the game. Even though the Constitution says they got to start meeting next Monday, they'll convene, pound the gavel, say we're here, pound the gavel, say adjourn for the day, and they'll all fly to the game. But the governor this week. It's making a big deal of constitutional carry in Georgia, and that would be really good because then I would not have to go through the concealed carry process again, and I really don't want to have to go through that process again. And that reminds me, Georgia's got uh, some good groups in the state, uh, one of which has been called George Carry, and they've changed their name now to GA2A. I like that, GA2A. Jerry Henry's the the executive director, uh, Georgia Carey, now GA2A, a really good group. Uh, they're the one competent, smart gun group in the state of Georgia. If you want to back one really good, highly competent, highly motivated group in Georgia, GA2A.org, and hopefully we can get constitutional carry so I don't have to go redo the whole concealed carry permit process. God bless Governor Kemp for pushing this issue. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution. If you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business, First Liberty Building and Loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty Building and Loan and my friends, the Frost family, come in. They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. They say yes, where big banks say no. It's that simple. Look, just do this. Spend 10 minutes with them. Call them, First Liberty Building and Loan. Say Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. Firstlibertyga.com.